The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. It's time to find out the stories behind the stories. Welcome to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective. Get ready for some amazing guests, along with Nick's own expertise and insight behind some of today's top news in sports. The where, why, and how. Now, here's your host, Nick Ferguson. Welcome to another exciting episode of Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective. I am your host, Nick Ferguson, and joining me as always is my sidekick, my Batman, or my Robin to my Batman. And They're interchangeable. It's all good. They're interchangeable. That's why we call Ebony and Ivory Secondary Perspective here on Voice America Sports. That's Mario Vitanzi. You can find him on Twitter at Mile High Mario. Mario. It is a very exciting day for a secondary perspective. And you, more importantly, I get a chance to host this show with you uh, all the time. But today, later on the show, we're going to be joined by another former Denver Bronco and University of Miami running back Clinton Porters. That should be a great time with Clinton. But Mario, some NBA action last night. Okay, now we know there's no LeBron James with the Miami Heat no longer. But the much way... To, much the, to your dismay, of course. Well, much, much to my dismay, but even in a losing effort to last night, uh, they lost 105 to 87. D-Wade looking like the old D-Wade. 42 points. Now, we lost the game, but I'm excited to see this as a Miami Heat fan that D-Wade can go out and score 40. It's the most shocking thing. I don't know if you got a chance to watch this game uh, last night. Atlanta Hawks, who's been on a tear down in the Eastern Conference, faced LeBron James, Kevin Love, and Kyrie Irving. But they beat the Cavs at home by 30 points, 127-98. Kevin Love, 10, 10 points, 9 rebounds. But Kyrie Irving kind of disappeared, only 9 points, 0 for 3 from downtown. So much so, Mario. They had a late-night practice session after the game against the Hawks. I mean, wow, what's happening in Cleveland? This is kind of what we, or what I thought would happen, man. Look, you have all the star power. It's all there. But what did we say on this very program, Nick? LeBron James, Kevin Love, and Kyrie Irving, what do they have outside of the the so-called big three? 
I mean, there's such an immense drop off in talent, at least Miami. I mean, yeah, there was still a drop off after their big three, but they were still great situational players. The Cavs really have no one else. So when Kyrie's not on and Kevin Love's not on and LeBron's not on, it was one of those rare nights where none of the big three were playing well. Well, you know, they, they, they didn't. And kind of a correction for Kevin Love. Kevin Love, 13 points, 10 assists, and six but he was, but he was minus. He was minus 20. Nick, I mean, that's that's the number that I look at above all else is your plus minus. LeBron was minus 18. Dion Waiters, who is supposed to be, you know, their their bench guy he had 21 points, but he was negative 25. And so these are the stats that I look at and we're seeing this is the LeBron effect, Nick, quite simply. You see now what Chris Bosh is doing. Like, you remember what he did in Toronto. He was the only guy up there in Toronto, so his stats were a little inflated. I'll give you that. Then they all meet in Miami, and Chris Bosh all of a sudden becomes a tertiary player, which he is not. So now that LeBron has left Miami, even though Bosh didn't play last night, the, the season that he's having, he's already you know, topping his stats that he put up last year as far as averages are concerned, Nick. So this is the LeBron effect. So Kevin Love, and and I predicted that this would happen. Not to pat myself on the back, but my arm is getting very sore from doing so, okay? They bring Kevin Love in, and he averages a double-double. And I know he got a double-double last night, but 13 and 10. There's simply not enough shots to go around. Kevin Love only took 10 shots last night. Kyrie Irving only took nine shots last night. Deion Waiters, Nick, took 18 shots last night. You're talking about a team with arguably the best three players on that team, and Deion Waiters is taking more shots than LeBron James? There's your problem. But see, the thing is, LeBron is going to take production away from other players. That's just how it's going to be. Well, see, when I look at that team and, you know, David Blatt is trying to do something, uh, I don't want to say that it's never been done before, but now you're trying to elevate this Cavs team to elite status in the NBA when, you know, we've seen several coaches try that and it didn't, it did not work. Uh, Le- LeBron James, having him back in the fold, yes, it, it takes away certain possessions, but this team has to learn how to gel. This is the same situation that the Miami Heat found themselves in when the big three got together in my, down in Miami, is that you have to be a cohesive unit. You have to know and have to be rely on each player week in and week out and night in and night out to do their job. And when you have Kevin Love, who's only giving you, you know, 13 points, Kyrie is only giving you nine points, you can't beat some of the elite teams in the East. And not to mention, when he even, even jumped into the Western Conference. I mean, how can you get that done? I mean, Kyrie Irving cannot have another game like this. I don't think he would have another subpar game like this. But I think this team and David Black and LeBron James, they're not exactly where they need to. They're they're not on that. Of course, they're not on that Popovich and and what he's doing now with the Spurs. But they have a lot of work to do before they can even think about winning an NBA title. Yeah, you're absolutely right. One more stat that I want to give to you, Nick, before we move on. The Cleveland Cavaliers scored nine fast break points. That is not a LeBron James offense. We can call it LeBron James offense because that's what it is. You know, I know it's it was with the Cavs and then the Heat, now back to the Cavs, but all of these teams that LeBron James is on, I mean, all of their highlights, Nick, think how many times they have seemingly uncontested dunks, uncontested layups, uncontested jump shots on a fast break. They had nine fast break points last night, Nick. 
And with this team, the way this team is structured, with the speed of LeBron James and Kyrie Irving, you cannot settle for nine fast break points. They need to pick the tempo up. Well, Pickens, talk about picking up the tempo. My next guest does just that. Former University of Miami Hurricane, former Denver Bronco and Washington Redskins, now covers college football for the ACC. Help me. Put your hands together, Mario. I know you put your hands and your feet together. For one, Clinton. Poor is Clinton. Thank you for joining the program. No problem, man. Thanks for having me. All right, if you want to go follow Clinton, you can follow him at the real C underscore Portis on Twitter. Now, we all had a chance to watch uh, the documentary, and, and not too many times uh, do we actually see ESPN 30 for 30 do a documentary on the same program, but the U part two. When I look back at the University of Miami, and I grew up in that area, I mean, every kid wanted to go to the University of Miami, but you had the opportunity to play with so many players, and they talked about the depth of the team, where even you know very talented players had to wait in the wings. What was it about the University of Miami for you that drew you to that team and that tradition? Man, you know, honestly, it was just the, the perfect fit, and, and I didn't even know it was the perfect fit because uh, throughout the recruiting process, you know, Maryland was um, – my top choice, and I, I constantly was thinking about going to the University of Maryland. Uh, my best friend was at Maryland, and uh, every day that I would come in, my mom, you know, I asked my mom, did any coaches call? And the first thing she would say is, University of Miami, Coach Sollinger call, University of Miami call, University. And I would be like, did Maryland call? Did, you know, this school call? Oh, yeah, they called too. And, uh, you know, I went on my visits, and uh, my visits were great. I went to, to Southern Miss, and I went to the University of Maryland, and my third visit was the University of Miami. And uh, I came down on my visit, and, and I meshed so well with the guys that were uh, here. And, and, you know, I ended up uh, leaving my host, which was Kenny Kelly, and I, uh, Santana uh, began to host me. I just joined up with Santana, and we had a great night and uh, had a great weekend. And, uh, you know, Ezra gave me probably some of the best advice that, I ever received at that time, and it was not to run from the competition because I asked him, uh, he asked me, well, are you coming to the University of Miami? And I said, are you leaving to go to the NFL? And he said, well, you know, it shouldn't matter if I leave or if I stay. You want to come for the competition. And I think that just uh, rung a bell in my head. And uh, I came to the University of Miami knowing that uh, Ezra could possibly still be here, James Jackson, Najee Davenport. Uh, you had Jared Payton coming in as well. So I came with the mindset ready to compete. Well, Clay, I mean, you just ran off a laundry list of running backs, and not too many college universities can say that they've actually put that many backs out, whether college or in the pros. But talk about the pressure, living up to that, knowing that you had Edwin James and all those running backs before you that came through the program, and then they went on to the NFL and they had that success. Talk about the level of pressure that you had to deal with as a running back, carrying that whole University of Miami to you as a running back in college and in the pros? You know what? It's crazy because it really didn't seem like pressure because you didn't know uh, at the time. We didn't know what we had. You know, uh, you watch Edge go. I think he was the fourth pick in the draft, and uh, he wouldn't have had a great rookie year. And uh, myself, I was in college, and I had a great, uh, I had a great freshman year in college, but – James Jackson was the guy, and, and 
uh, Coach Davis kept James Jackson uh, as the man, and uh, all of a sudden my sophomore year, we're in a loaded back to Najee Davenport went down my freshman year. So sophomore year, you have myself, James, and Najee all competing to get the ball. And then you bring in a young DJ Williams. Uh, you got a young Willis McGahee. You got all these guys coming in uh, to be that guy. And uh, it, it was kind of like a wait your turn. Like you got to wait and uh, when you get your opportunity to make the most of it. And uh, the pressure wasn't even known going out and being outstanding on the field. It was getting on the field. That was the most pressure because everybody in the room felt like they should be the guy, and not only the guy at the running back position, they felt like they were the best player on the University of Miami team. And then when you look around the rest of the team uh, to look at the receivers that we had, Santana Moss, Reggie Wayne, um, Bubba Franks, Jeremy Shockey, Kelvin Winslow, you look at um, you, you look at the offense, uh, offensive side of the ball, you look at Ken Dorsey uh, at quarterback, then you look at the defensive side of the ball, you had competition at every position. And, I mean, we competed on and off the field. That's what's crazy. Like, we competed with everything we did. We competed in the classroom to be uh, the smartest kid. We competed on the track uh, because everybody at at that time uh, was on the track team as well. We competed in the gym playing basketball. You competed in in running and doing workouts. They had the fastest sport at time to be the strongest, uh, to have the highest vertical. It was just competition. Uh, throughout constantly. If you're just joining us, Clinton Porters of the U Denver Broncos and Washington Redskins is joining us. CP, looking at your last year at Miami, 1,200 rush yards, 10 touchdowns, averaging five and a half yards a carry. And then, of course, in the Rose Bowl against Nebraska, a 100-yard game and a touchdown. But the question, I think, on everybody's mind, if you stay there for one more year, because I think you had one more year of eligibility, didn't you? If you stay there for the following season, you know, do you guys beat Ohio State? See, I don't even think it's close. And so that whole debacle that went on where you guys kind of got screwed out of a national championship, if CP's running the ball, that's not even a problem because you're winning by 20 or 30 points. Well, you know, what's what's actually crazy is you look at those 1,200 yards and 10 touchdowns, and nobody even comes to the realization that I was always out by halftime. You know, I think it's... Uh, my junior year, I'm, I might have played in uh, three second halves. You know, I, I think I played Virginia Tech, Boston College, and I'm not even sure uh, what other game I played in the second half. But we started out the season uh, demolishing Penn State. I was done at halftime, and every game that uh, carried on after that, I think we had three close games. That was Boston College, Virginia Tech, uh, and it was one more team that. Uh, I can recall being in the game in the second half period. And, uh, you know, if you look at that, that same year, you look at Willis and Frank uh, and, and Jarrett's carry and realize I was out of the game at halftime. And uh, if I just stay in the game my junior year, you know, I'd probably run up, uh, probably could have went over 1,500 to 2,000 yards rushing. But uh, my thing was getting in and getting out and making sure I stayed fresh for the following week and, and uh, you know, a lot of people ask, why did I leave school? Because I didn't talk to anyone when I left uh, for the NFL. So a lot of people ask, why did you leave school? And, uh, you know, I remember coming out and guys said, well, you would have been a, a, a top 10 pick if you just stayed another year. And I said, I should be a top 10 pick this year. Uh, we won a national championship. There's nothing else I can prove. And, uh, you know, a lot of people looked at me, and I remember going in and talking to scouts and 
uh, all the scouts, oh, where do you think you should get drafted? And I said, honestly, I think I should be the third pick in the NFL draft. You got to trade with the Detroit Lions, uh, or I need to be going to Detroit. And, you know, a bunch of people laughed at me. And uh, I, I told some GMs and uh, some owners that I would be rookie of the year and, and that I would have a great career. You know, a lot of people just look like, yeah, you know, this guy's full of crap. And, I mean, the record, I mean, the, the, the yardage speak for itself. Well, well, Clint, I mean, when you talk about yardage, I mean, great sensational seasons with the Denver Broncos. Denver Broncos fans love, definitely love you uh, for that. But now the Broncos have two running backs. They drafted Monty Ball in the first round from Wisconsin, and then they have two undrafted free agent running backs who are tearing it up, Juwan Thompson, and you have C.J. Anderson. Now, I was watching the game uh, several weeks earlier in the season, and C.J. Anderson broke the game open, 51-yard rush against the Oakland Raiders. And the first thing that I saw on Twitter, people started to compare him to both Terrell Davis and yourself. When, when you look at these Broncos running back, do you see a little bit of yourself in them? And if so, which, which back, Juwan Thomas or C.J. Anderson? Man, you know, I think the Broncos got, got so much talent at the running back position. And, uh, just because they have such a great quarterback in, in Peyton Manning and, uh, players, the Marriott, uh, the Marriott and Julius, uh, Julian Thomas around, uh, it's overlooked. But when you look at the, the work that CJ Anderson is putting in, it kind of reminds me of, of a Terrell Davis or Mike Anderson guys that went, uh, later and succeeded, and it's just something about that organization finding uh, the right back. And, I mean, of course, it's great having uh, Peyton, but when you look at uh, C.J. Anderson, is is more impressive to me just because uh, when you he he's blocking, he's catching, and he's running the ball. And once the ball has been uh, banged up for the most part, but once he gets uh, to where he can get consistency, um, with the way the running back position is going in the NFL, I don't see a reason why you can't play all three of those guys or, or at least keep two and have, have the third as a safety net because the way guys are going down and getting banged up now, you need that. And, and I think it's great for uh, the Denver Broncos. A lot of people say, well, have Peyton lost it and Peyton uh, showing his age starting to show he's not performing. And I think it's the best thing to possibly happen for the Denver Broncos because in the playoffs, um, they're going to need a running game. You can't put it all on Peyton. And I think having the opportunity to see that you have three backs and uh, these young guys that they have and all three uh, getting a little bit uh, at a time, all of a sudden they're going to be fresh in the playoffs, which I think is going to be great for the Broncos if they can keep it up. Yeah, absolutely. Again, we're talking to Clinton Portis of the U Denver Broncos and Washington Redskins. And just to uh, – clarify real quick for our listeners when cp said that he thought he should be taken third overall that is where the detroit lions took joey harrington so obviously he was right there uh cp with all the time you spent in washington and seeing the situation that's going on there now where you know it's just a yo-yo effect with rg3 you know he's playing he's benched he's playing he's benched and it's got to be an awkward situation for gruden because when colt mccoy went down you know his hand was kind of forced gruden clearly doesn't want rg3 playing quarterback he's given him his chance rg3 hasn't performed so what do you make of that whole situation in washington man i think that's that's probably the toughest place to be a star is in uh that washington dc market and 
uh, you know, if I heard you all talking about uh, basketball. And if you look at, at the Washington Wizards and uh, how long it took them to let John Wall develop into the player that he is, they had patience. You know, early on, it was get John Wall out of town, and, and they kept the patience. They they kept adding pieces around him. You go out and you get Gortat, you bring in uh, Bradley Bill, you had Trevor Ariza with him last year, and you had other guys to take the pressure off of him. And all of a sudden, once you got guys that could help him and took the pressure off of him, you bring in a Bill who was a sharpshooter. You bring in a Gortat who, who was a grimy uh, inside player. Ariza, a great player as well. All of a sudden, you put talent around him, and John Wall blossomed into the player that we see uh, going going to play and represent the Washington Wizards uh, for the Olympics. And uh, when you look at that, it's the same patience needed in football. And the difference between the Wizards and the Redskins is the Redskins is the biggest ticket in D.C. And everybody wants instant um, instant success out of the Washington Redskins. And that's from the owner uh, on down. And I think Mr. Snyder does everything he possibly can to keep the Redskins relevant and, and put them in a position uh, to have the best um, the best, the best players that he could possibly go out and find. The only issue is you keep addressing all of your skill positions, and you have yet to put money into the biggest problem, and that's getting somebody to protect their skill positions by allowing your skill positions to have enough time uh, to showcase their talent. And until they get an offensive line, it don't matter if you got Drew Brees, RG3, Peyton Manning or anybody else. If he can't get the ball out of his hand in one, two, three seconds and it's gone, it, it does no good. And I think for RG3, the success we've seen with RG3 in his rookie year uh, was with an offense that was catered to him. It was with the same offense he had in college. Uh, they put him in a similar situation where he didn't have to have a lining curve. It was They adjusted to his style, and all of a sudden, when they took that offense away and made him go through the learning curve or the adjustments of an NFL quarterback, is going to challenge. And, and if you look uh, with that challenge, you forcing him. And uh, the realization is he's been hurt every year since then. You know, and uh, it's a short clock. You know, four or five games and no success is like, okay, we want Kirk Cousins. And then you get Kirk Cousins. It's like, okay, Kirk Cousins is not the answer either. And, uh, now we want uh, we want Colt McCoy. Colt McCoy gets his opportunity, and now he's banged up. And now you got to put RG three back in. So it's constantly. I want somebody else. I want somebody. I want somebody that's going to perform right now and get the job done. And um, the, the one common thread and all of that is they're all behind the same offensive line. And until you address that offensive line and get people that can protect those guys, it's not going to work for any quarterback. Well, there it is. That's Clinton Portis giving us some inside look into the Redskins locker room, what's happening with RG3, the Washington Redskins organization, and the Denver Broncos running backs. Clint, thank you for joining us. You can also follow Clint at, on Twitter at the real C underscore Portis. He's now an analyst for ACC Network. Catch him next year on college football. Clint, thank you for joining the program. No problem, man. Thank you all for having me. Appreciate it. Coming, right, up after the, coming up after the break, got a little bit of breaking news or let's, who cares? Breaking news? Who knows? But coming up after the break, we'll give you that and talk to Jeff Hauser, who covers the Pac-12 conference and 
See what he had to say about his experience at the Heisman Trophy presentation this past weekend. You're listening to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective on Voice America Sports. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to nickfergshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. As far as after football, who knows? My life will revolve around football at some point, but I'd rather have the experience of playing in the NFL and, who knows, die 10, 15 years earlier than not be able to play in the NFL and, you know, live a long life. It's something that I wanted to do in my life and uh, I wanted to accomplish, and I've pretty, pretty much set my whole life up to accomplish that goal. So, I mean, I don't really look towards my life after football because, you know, I'll figure things out when I get there and see how I am. But you're- when, you, when you hear that, and that was the voice in, of Chris Conti, Bears safety only four years in the NFL. Mario, I'll ask you first, and then I'll chime in. Well, when you hear a guy who's currently playing that, who's had several injuries, shoulders, ankles, couple of concussions, some of the team reports that Chris Conte himself denies, when you hear a guy talk like that, well, I'll worry about it when I get there. Uh, the, the idea that uh, I'd rather risk my body of playing in the NFL is, is worth the risk of dying, if you will, and I worry about everything later. What, what does that sound like to you? How, how, as a sports fan and a guy that covers the game, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? It, it just seems like an ignorant comment, Nick. Like he doesn't know what could possibly be on the horizon. I mean, I, I feel like at, that, at this point in his career, I mean, he's, he's been in the league for a long time. Maybe he understands and there's really no other option. It's like he's already been in the league. He knows what has happened to him. He might know what's to come. So maybe he's just trying to make light of the situation. But honestly, in my opinion, it just seems like a real ignorant comment. Like, why would you come out and say something like that? And, you know, given the opportunity, I feel like when he is eventually faced with death, as we all will be someday, and, you know, the powers that be ask, would you have wanted 10 or 15 more years on your life? and not played football, I'm sure at that point 
he'll say, yeah, I wish I could go back and not play football and add, you know, all of these years to my life. So, I mean, it's, it's hard for me to say, Nick. I mean, you know the situation a lot better than I because not only were you in the NFL, but you played the same position as Chris Conte. You know, he's a position where he's getting his head in a lot of tackles. You know, he's throwing his body around. Safety is not an easy position to play not that there's a position on the field that is easy to play but for him to say something like this I guess it's it's a little sobering to hear Nick well you know what I want to get this out on social media so uh, hashtag what would I sacrifice because when you think about these situations whether it's playing in the NFL or any other major professional sports getting that girl of your dreams or getting that dream job is like what would you sacrifice if someone said, well, we give you this one thing that you really want, but you have to give up something in return. And what would that sacrifice be? And I think what Chris Conti is saying is that I, I love playing a game of football. I love to play the game of football. And I'm willing to give up the back portion of my life, of shorten my lifespan, if you will, to play this game that I love. Most people won't agree with that. And I'll tell you from my perspective, when I was a kid growing up in inner city, yeah, I I love the game of football. And I said, well, I will be willing to play this game for free. That's the first thing I said when I first was trying to get into the league. Boy, did my mind change once I got into the league. I saw everything that was taking place. I saw that it was a business. Guys are being forced to play injured and play hurt. There's a difference between the two. And, And I had a Change of heart. No, I'm not playing this game for free. You have to pay me. If I'm going to get out there and play with injury, pay me. Injuries are a part of the game. And I was asked once, knowing what I know now about the concussions, would I still play the game of football? And my answer was yes. Because the game of football gave me an opportunity to change not only my life, but the life of those in my family. It gave me a way to go to Georgia Tech, get an education, and virtually have an opportunity to do anything I want to. With a degree from Georgia Tech, every door is open for me. I just have to step through it. So would I say agree with Chris Conte as far as, well, I'd rather shorten my life and in short somewhat because knowing as though it would give me the ability to make the lives of others around me better. And if, if I had to make that short sacrifice, I would be willing uh, to do that, to make sure that my family had a be- better way of living. But I want to stick with the Chicago Bears uh, for a second. Earlier this week, Mark Tressman decided he was going to bench Jay Cutler. I mean, we, let's, let, me, let me read a couple of things to you. Let's talk a little bit about Jay Cutler's. Jay Cutler is $22.5 million, making more, most, uh, the most money in the NFL at this particular time, more than Peyton Manning, more than Tom Brady, more than Drew Brees. But as a starting quarterback, he has a record of 61 and 57, three winning seasons in nine years, and they gave him a contract extension, something that we totally disagree with on this program, but... We're not the Chicago Bears brass, but enter Jimmy Clausen, 1-9 as a starter, hasn't started since 2010, I believe. What is Mark Tressman saying to the Bears fans right now, Mario? Nick, 
do we forget that Mark Tressman coached in the Canadian Football League? Look, not to take anything away from the CFL. It's a it's a nice little program they got up there and about, you know, 0.5% of the players that play there have a chance to play in the NFL if we're giving you the honest and brutal truth. But Nick, he coached in Canada. And oh, he was really he was a really great coach for the Alouettes or whatever in the world team that he ended up <laughs> coaching for. It's still Canada, Nick. So you're taking the best coach from Canada and giving him a head coaching job in the NFL? Are you insane? And we said this before, and I know Tressman had a little bit of uh, a little bit of experience in the NFL from the past and before the Canadian Football League, but it just didn't make any sense to me. And I said at the time of the hire, this is a very confusing decision by the Bears because not only did they decide to hire Mark Tressman. They fired Lovey Smith after a 10-win season. So let's not forget that. I don't know Lovey's having a tough time in, down in Tampa Bay, but he had all of his guys in place in Chicago, man. Like, Chicago was the place for Lovey, and they fired a guy who went 10-6, and six, barely missed the playoffs, but they were on the verge. They were a good team. So if you were to have Lovey Smith with this team right now, Nick, this is a playoff team. I don't, you can say whatever you want about Jay Cutler, the offensive line, this and that. It comes back to Mark Tressman, man. When you have this much talent, when you have the kind of weapons that Mark Tressman has at his disposal, and he's supposed to be an offensive genius, and you're putting up the piddling numbers that you are, then it's your problem. It's your fault. That's what's going on in Chicago. Nick is giving the backup quarterback a chance. That's what he was forced to do last year, and they had Josh McCown. And it worked out pretty well for him. The journeyman got it done. But if you think for two seconds that you are going to get a fraction of the production out of Jimmy Clausen that you got of Josh McCown, you are sorely mistaken. Jimmy Clausen is the worst paid quarterback in the NFL. And you could bring Tim Tebow in, and that would still remain true. Jimmy Clausen is garbage. And their failure is not because of Jay Cutler. I mean, could he be playing better, Nick? Of course. Could the offense be the offensive line be playing better? Absolutely. But this is Tressman trying to divert attention away from him and blame Jay Cutler. He's trying to convince the organization that, oh, it's it's not me. It's the quarterback. Just watch. And then watch how poorly Jimmy Clausen plays. It's not me. It's the powers that be. Well, I got news for you, Tressman. It is you. Go back to Canada where you belong, bro. But wait a minute. By making this late season uh, adjustment and putting in Jimmy Clausen, is Mark Tressman and, and the Chicago Bears not saying that we made a mistake giving Jay Cutler all that money. It was premature to do that. We could have waited. But, I mean, he, he's putting himself out there by, by Nick, definitely. When has a, a head coach ever admitted to being wrong? I mean, you should know this, Nick. Remember when Jake Plummer was benched for Jay Cutler? Kind of uh, funny how cyclical life is, isn't it? That Broncos team was 7-4. and four. I don't have to tell you when Jake Plummer was benched. And then they ended up not making the playoffs. Do you think Mike Shanahan ever came out and said that was a mistake? Of course not. Does he know that it was? Obviously. But he is going to take that to his grave. Head coaches don't admit when they're in the wrong. Oh, wait, 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 Mario. See, communication is verbal and nonverbal. By making this move, you are just saying that. You're saying, listen, I was wrong, and now we don't have uh, adequate backup, so we're just going to stick Jimmy Clausen in. There's no way we're going to get into the playoffs. We're trying to figure out what we're going to do with Jay Cutler because we paid him all this money. Our defense is 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 horrible. That that's only the adjective that I can use. They're just horrible. So when you look at 
Mark Tressman, you look at Jay Culler, you look at Phil Emery. When you look at these three men, they're going down with the ship together. It's, it's like, which guy is the organization going to throw a life raft to? Is it going to be Emory? Is it going to be Jay Culler? One thing is for sure, this team is going in the wrong direction. I go back to before I played with Jay Cutler. He has a strong arm, but sometimes he's too confident in that arm and has gotten him in trouble. And most people, when they look at him, they say, well, when he makes a mistake, he doesn't show a lot of emotion. You go back to the game against the Saints on Monday night. Alshon Jeffrey looks like he didn't run the right route at the depth that Cutler wanted. And then Cutler, for the first time this season, actually showed a little emotion, but it might be a tad bit too late. So now it's like, well, if they move Cutler, where's he going to go? I mean, you know, you can't go to Oakland. They have a decent uh, rookie quarterback there. I mean, the only two places that you can possibly go is maybe Tampa Bay to join Lovey or the New York Jets or maybe even the Houston Texans. But we just have to wait to see that's, what happens I, with that. That's what I was going to say, Nick. Two of your four, or one of your former teams, the Texans, and then maybe the Jets as well. I guess two former teams. And I, I guess those teams are going to have to decide. Houston will have a middle-round draft pick, so they probably won't have a chance at Marcus Mariota. But, uh, you know, I think that's a decision the Jets are going to have to make. Are they going to want to draft Mariota or maybe even take a chance on Winston or are they going to want to take a Jay Cutler in that situation? I mean, you look at some of the worst teams. The Tampa Bay, Bu- or the yeah, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to be there. They'll be in the uh, in play for a rookie quarterback. But you look at the Jaguars; they have a quarterback. You look at the Titans; Titans could probably go after another quarterback, but it might not be uh, the long term answer that they're looking for. So there's a very short list of bad teams that need a quarterback. And I think it's Jets. And then I think, honestly, you bring Jay Cutler into Houston. That's a very similar situation that he's in right now. A little bit better offensive line, but, you know, a running back in Arian Foster, that's almost the same as what he has in Matt Forte. A very good receiving core. Maybe not even as good as his Bears receiving core. But, a, but a much better defense. So the Houston Texans might be thinking, man, if we can win with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tom Savage played, and now uh, Ryan Mallett, who got hurt, they're going to have to decide if they want to you know, maintain that investment. That's the only thing. It's a little bit of a logjam at the quarterback position. And now they brought back Case Keenum in Houston. So maybe they bring in Cutler just because, you know, crazy things happen in this league, man. Crazy things have happened. And speaking of that, oh, wait a minute. This just in. That's right. This just in starting quarterbacks in the NFL that were benched this season. Let's start with number one. Geno Smith was benched for Michael Vick. Jake Locker, who my counterpart just spoke of, was benched in favor of LSU quarterback Zach Mittenberg. Brian Hoyer was relieved of his duty in favor of Johnny Football, who in his debut as a starter did not perform well against the Cincinnati Bengals. E.J. Emanuel, Florida State standout quarterback, bench for, that's right, Cal Orton. Austin Davis was leading the Rams, but leading them to nowhere until Sean Hill came 
and, and won a couple of games with Jeff Fisher. And the guy who we just talked about, Jay Cutler, bitched for Notre Dame standout Jimmy Clausen. And that's been your not-so-breaking news moment of the day. After the break, we will talk to Jeff Howes of Red Sports and Pac-12 writer to get a little insight on the historic Heisman Trophy presentation that took place last week in New York. And maybe we can get a little insight on what Mark Helfrich plans to do when he faces against Florida State. Stay here. Keep it locked. Come back after the break. Nick Ferguson's secondary perspective with my sidekick, Mario Vitanzi, here on Voice America Sports. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need to bitch his ass and then move on. I just just think that the coach made a mistake. Crazy. (laughs) NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter. Formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams, Kwame's got the experience. So he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. Get ready for an unpredictable, fun, and sometimes sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to nickfergshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Speaking of the ridiculous, 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 Nicholas, that's me, Nick Ferguson, joining us today on the program, writer for Red Sports and the Pac-12. That's right, the Pac-12. Jeff Hauser joins the program. You can follow him on Twitter at Radio Hauser. Jeff, thank you for joining us. Oh, as always, thank you for having me. All right, Jeff, let's get right into it. This past Saturday, Heisman Trophy presentation, and just like you said on the program weeks back, you said you voted for Marcus Mariota, and he won 
by a landslide. I think this is probably the biggest margin in Heisman Trophy uh, voting, but you had a chance to sit down with Marcus Mariota and Oregon head coach Mark Helfridge after the presentation. Now, let's talk about that conversation. Now, we know Florida State is the opponent on January 1st for the Oregon Ducks. How do they plan to do this, knowing that they're going to be without one of the best corners on the Oregon defense? Well, I, I discussed a lot of things with Coach Helfridge as well as Marcus Mariota, um, one of them being that how, how do you contain such a good offense like Florida State? I know that they have slumped recently, and I know that a lot of that has been due to the fact that Jameis Winston has not played up to his potential, but we, we look at everything across the board. You, you know, Florida State comes into this game, and they have been on a downslide. You know, the, the two-point victory against Georgia Tech, barely squeaking by Florida in the last week of the season. Uh, so, you know, for, for Florida State to come out in this game, in the Rose Bowl, they need to come out firing, and they need to really exploit Oregon for their flaws on defense. Now, I'm not saying that it's not possible for, for Oregon to jump out so quickly because it's very capable for them to do that. But there's, there's a couple of different things. You know, the, the one thing that really hurts Oregon, like you had alluded to, is the fact that they will be without their star cornerback. And, you know, Ifo Ipri uh, Alomu, if you have him and you put him on your draft board, he's going to be the top cornerback in the nation, in my opinion. So to have him out with a torn ACL for the rest of the playoffs, it's, it's key for Oregon. But, you know, next man up situation, just like it is for Ohio State with T.J. Barrett. Now Cardell Jones comes in. So it's, we're, it's all going to play out in front of our eyes within this playoff. So it's, it's going to be very interesting to see what both teams have to offer in the game. If you just join us, we're talking to Rand Sports writer and Pac-12 writer Jeff Hauser. You can follow him on Twitter at Radio Hauser. Now, when you sat down with Mark Helfrich, did it appear to you that this Oregon team, knowing as though Florida State hasn't been that great this season, but they're undefeated, the only undefeated team in its 14 playoffs, but did it appear to you that they were possibly overlooking this team looking ahead to Alabama? Oh, no, absolutely not. I would say not at all because Mark Helfrich told me a couple different things. One of the things that he told me was that he's planning – this matchup uh, based on what he has seen. He's broken down the film from last year even, and some of the the offense and some of that scheme that they ran last year within the championship against Auburn. But now this is a completely different Florida State team who has slumped, and he is aware of that. But he's playing this like every other opponent that he's played this season. And, of course, the Oregon Ducks have the biggest margin of victory within college football. They've been beating teams by at least 28 points or more on average. So it's, it's going to be Florida State's game to lose, be it that, yes, they are the only undefeated team, but they have slumped. They started out the season with an average margin of victory of 15 points a game, and in the last five games, it's hovered around six points a game, 6.8 points a game, actually. So that, that's a huge margin considering – you know, going into the season, they were a much better team, and they started out the season with with good aspirations. You know, they've had some pretty key wins over an Oklahoma State team who was fired up at the time. It was the first game of the season, but then the Clemson win helped them going into 
everything into the Georgia Tech win and the ACC championship, I think has really boosted Florida State week by week by week. Let's see what happens when they have a little bit more rest. So, Jeff, let me ask you, when you sat there with Marcus Mariota, who did he give all the credit to for the success that he has up to this point? Oh, definitely, you know, Marcus Mariota, the, the times that I've got to sit down and interview with him, he's always been a humble kid. And, you know, he gave all the success to his team, his parents, his family, and the island of Hawaii. That, that You know, he's very much Ohana, family, you know, that, that type of mentality. And it's not, it's not about the, the glitz, the glamour, the fame, going to the NFL for Marcus. And that's, that's one thing that stands him apart from the other the past two Heisman Trophy winners, because you have Johnny Manziel, who has always been about, you know, me, myself, I, and now Jameis Winston, who has pretty much been me, myself, I, and let's go steal some crab legs. So, (laughs) You just had to go there, right? You just had to go there. I would be be disappointed if you didn't go there, Jeff. Exactly. That's what what Jameis Winston is going to be known from here on out, is he he was dumb in the offseason, went to a Publix, and stole some crab legs. So, I mean, that's just the, the cloud that's going to hover around him because, really, who goes to a grocery store and steals meat? Well, someone who's hungry goes to the store and steals meat. Okay, so, Nick, go to a convenience store, take a Kit Kat bar or three Musketeers or something, okay? You don't, you don't, you don't go zero to 60. You work your way up to crab legs, man. Hey, man, maybe you just had crab legs on the mind. Have you seen The Walking Dead? When you're starving as a college student... You're trying to okay, find okay, so you're going you're gonna to compare zombies' bloodlust to Jameis Winston's crab leg lust. Is that what I'm, am I, am I understanding you correctly? Well, well, maybe I shouldn't have compared the two, but here's a better comparison. You know, and you guys with the college, eating ramen noodles in college when they're not feeding you on Sunday night? Hey, look, I'm sorry. I'm not condoning the crab legs or whatever, but college students are hungry. They don't get, they don't get a lot of money. They don't get paid. So, hey, make it. <laughs> okay, well, that, that brings up the further discussion now that, that, you know, if I was James Winston and I was stealing crab legs from a Publix grocery store, I would go back to the NCA and say, hey, you know, I'm a hungry, starving college student. Why doesn't someone pay me because my likeness and everything else is being used? You're selling my jerseys in stores. So, you know, I'm not seeing the benefits from that. Ed O'Bannon, perfect example. Well, I tell you, Jeff, I mean, we're going to get into that uh, sometime soon and the whole idea of why, once again, college athletes should get paid. Jeff, thank you for joining the program, and Happy New Year, and uh, Merry Christmas to you, my friend. Uh, My friend, you as well, and I hope to see you soon, and Mario, you as well, man. All right, man. Have a a great holiday, bro. As As you know, the NFC has been... I guess must-see TV and add a little bit of drama. Here's what Jason Garrett had to say about the recent injury to DeMarco Murray. Today, and uh, today we don't anticipate him practicing much, but he's got to move around and get himself physically ready to play in this game in and around that hand. And then as we go, we'll just see, again, how functional he is, how he can hold the ball, uh, hold it under duress, uh, catch the ball, block, do all the things necessary to play, and, and we'll try to ease him into drills and, uh, and practice as we go, uh, as the week goes on, and just see where he is, and we'll evaluate it day by day. 
after suffering a defeat at home by the hands of the Philadelphia Eagles on Thanksgiving, Dallas returned just like the Empire to beat the Philadelphia Eagles at home in their last home game to, to take a lead in the division, 10-4, to dropping Philadelphia to 9-5. and I ask you, Mario, two games remaining in the season, and yes, we talked about the Dallas Cowboys at nauseum and the Tony Romo effect. Can Dallas get it done? They play Indy, uh, Indy ho- their host Indy at home, and they play the Washington Redskins. Uh, can they get it done? Can this finally be Nick, the year that they, that, that they dispel all the rumors and Nick. Tony Romo and the Cowboys get it done? I know you're not seriously asking me if the Cowboys can win. Yes, of course I'm asking that question. Can, Eagles can, are The Philadelphia Eagles are going to win out. The Dallas Cowboys will lose on Sunday to the Colts. And I know everyone's thinking, oh, well, they're at home. That's going to help them. No, they are actually the only team in the NFL to be undefeated on the road this year. And that's awesome. Okay, so they're going to win in week 17, but they are going to lose against the Colts at home. I don't think that they're going to be able to keep up with them. I don't think they're going to be able to slow down Andrew Luck and T.Y. Hilton. And here's here's what's interesting about the Colts team, Nick. They should have a worse record. But they're one of those teams that finds ways to win. And that's what you have to do in order to be a serious playoff contender. With the Dallas Cowboys, things either go their way or they don't go their way. And that's that, Nick. And I don't think things are going to go their way on Sunday. Bottom line. So you're saying, Mark, franchise is going to take the Philadelphia Eagles to the promised land. And here, here's a look at how things lay out. Dallas at 10-4. and four, Detroit 10-4. and four. New Orleans, that's right, six and eight, and Arizona have already clinched at eleven and three. That leaves Green Bay Packers, Seattle Seahawks, and either you know this Philadelphia Eagles team, if they don't have to handle business, possibly on the outside looking in, hoping to get one of those wild card spots. So you still believe in Mark Sanchez being the guy to get the Philadelphia Eagles to the promised land? Here's the thing, no, and the reason I say that is because they when they win. They win despite Mark Sanchez when they get LaShawn McCoy going, you know, when, when they get the ball into Jeremy Macklin's hands and Jordan Matthews as well. But people want to pigeonhole Mark Sanchez as this terrible quarterback. He is aggressively mediocre, Nick. That's, that's what's great about Mark Sanchez. He's never going to wow you, but when he lets you down, you kind of saw it coming. Now, the thing that sets him apart this year from what he's, or the thing that uh, is similar to what he had in the past with the Jets is a very good defense. The Philadelphia Eagles defense scores, and in fact, they're either the second or third uh, best scoring defense in the NFL right now. So the defense is going to help him out. They're, They're going to go undefeated. I'm sorry, not undefeated, but they're going to win their last two games, Nick. They don't, they're not difficult games. They are going to win, whether it's with Sanchez or not. you you got to see bigger picture. The team as a whole, with Chip Kelly, Chip Kelly running it, they're better than the Cowboys. Cowboys aren't going to make the playoffs. We know how this story ends. We do know how this story ends, and I am sticking to my story. Philadelphia Eagles win the last two road games against the Washington Redskins, New York Giants, and they become the NFC East champions and sending Jerry World once again back to contemplate what happened. I would like to thank my guest, Jeff Hauser, for joining the program. 
Clint Portis, great stuff from Clinton, and also Mario Batanzi for always hanging in there with me, being my Robin to my Batman, my three amigos here reporting in the pavilion, excuse me, in the pavilion here in Los Angeles at the Church of Scientology. Thank you for allowing me to use your lovely setting and backdrop, my guys in Arizona, for always keeping the show running as smoothly as possible. Enjoy the holidays. If you haven't gotten your shopping in, hurry up and go, but get it done. Nick Ferguson, Secondary Perspective. We'll see you. Thanks again for stopping by. Be sure to catch Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. in the West on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll share some more great stories next week. 